On this episode, we discuss Freaky Friday? Kind of. Okay. <laughs> Hey everyone, and welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalen. And Stuart Wellington, who do we have with us today? Oh man, this is such a treat. We have a star of the small screen, a star of the big screen, a producer, and a bad movie expert, self-professed, Barbara <laughs> Crampton. There you go, woohoo, thanks guys. <laughs> thank Happy you. to be here. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank uh, you. Long time listeners of the show will know we're a, a very big fan of your work. Yeah, I. so Stuart, you did a, uh, a presentation of Stuart Gordon's Castle Freak in Yonkers. Uh, you hosted that. Uh-huh, uh, yep. With the freak himself in attendance. And I Jonathan Fuller was... Years ago. Dan, yeah, I don't want our listeners ago. to think that Stuart's breaking lockdown. This was not like the other no, night. No, no, no. This, this was a while I'm, ago. I've been hearing getting... about your love for... Well, or your thoughts about uh, Castle Freak <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> Maybe love too strong a word. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, no. He I'm, talks I'm pretty, about it a lot. And I'm but easy was, with my affections. I was just trying to get to the fact that also in uh, the Brooklyn... Uh, Alamo, I introduced a screening of From Beyond. So two out of the three of us have introduced uh, Barbara Crampton screenings, which only leads me to ask Elliot, what's your problem? I'll get to it, Dan. I have, I've, I, you, as you know, I only screen movies that are at least 70 to 100 years old. So yeah. I'm, I'm just waiting for the statute of limitations to run out, and then I'll show Reanimator, or maybe I'll show From Beyond 2, uh, a movie that spoke to me very deeply when I was having a uh, medical problem one time and I was, was was watching from beyond for the first time and I was like this movie I really this movie really gets me right now this is, <laughs> so so that was a movie that really helped me through a difficult weekend well, well, uh, how did it help you uh, it was kind of it was the it was my first time this is getting probably getting too personal it was my first time dealing with a kidney stone and I was it was just a very painful experience and watching from beyond and seeing the characters in it dealing with kind of like their their reality and their bodies being warped. It really <laughs> made it. It was like okay, this movie this movie is expressing kind of like what I'm feeling right now in a way that makes me feel less alone. Since at the time <laughs> I was very alone because my wife was out of town. So it was it was just companionship I needed at the moment. You know. Yeah, misery loves company. So you were you know watching Jeffrey Combs morph <laughs> into all these this different creature from the beyond, and it helped you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah very much. There was there's a moment where I think he he bites another person's eyeball out and i was like yeah that's what it feels like right now that was like, Stuart gordon's you. wife <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah Carolyn Wait. Gordon. uh which is it, that's kind of the opposite elliot of the time i broke my arm in a car accident and my mother went to the to the grocery store which is where we rented videos from when i was a child and she rented me the movie Body Parts, starring Jeff Fahey, which is about a guy who get, who's in a horrible car accident and he gets a replacement limb from a serial killer that makes him a serial killer or something. Uh, so that did not work that way. So <laughs> it, next, when Jeff oh, Fahey comes on, yeah, when no, Jeff Fahey no. <laughs> comes on the show, I'll, I'll let him down. I mean, but your mom gets you. I mean, that, that's what that story tells me is your mom really knows what you're into. 
A hundred percent. Did you guys like bad horror movies growing up? Or horror movies in general? Yeah, I mean, I feel or like... Or that something that happened to you later? No, I mean, my... Like, I've always... Like, I like being scared. And uh, I guess the bad horror movie love came from the constantly, like each weekend going to the video store, like searching for the next great like scare and often being let down because I thought the box cover looked great. And then by the time I got it home, I'm like, this is nothing like the painting on the cover. <laughs> now I, this, this kind of leads me into a question I wanted to ask you, Barbara, which is, uh, I mean, you chose freaky. You're like, oh, let's watch this. Um, I wanted to know w- whether you were a horror fan before you appeared in movies or whether you sort of were like uh like um ground down over the years and 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 grew to love them that's a good question well first of all i picked freaky because it was coming out and i knew i was going to talk to you guys and i wanted to watch it um (laughs) so i was like let's watch freaky because that's the next movie i want to watch but um you know i didn't plan to be a horror movie actress i just wanted to be an actor from the time i was about 11 and I just happened to be in Reanimator, and Stuart took me on this journey. I wouldn't have a career in horror movies without him. And I, you know, it's funny because I didn't grow up seeking out horror genre movies or television shows. But I, when I was younger, I would watch The Outer Limits uh, with my dad and Night Gallery and shows like that. And when I was younger, I don't know how old I would have been, you know, somewhere in sixth or seventh grade, I guess, I watched Dark Shadows. I loved Dark Shadows. That was my favorite show. And I would race home uh, from school on my bicycle. We got out at like 10 to 3, and at 3 o'clock the show started. And I just couldn't get enough of that show. I had nightmares every night about it, but I couldn't (laughs) stop I couldn't stop watching it. Yeah, and my yeah. mother didn't want me to watch it anymore. And I said, no, I have to watch it, man. Mom, <laughs> man, mom, I got to watch this show. I don't, like, I don't like you calling me man anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, mom, man. Man. Um, and, and so maybe it was going to happen to me. I don't know. I, I just hear all these stories about these people that grow up and they know so much about horror movies and they sought them out from when they were kids, their parents watched them and they would get up from their beds and peek over the couch while their parents were watching a movie that I just, you know, didn't really have, it wasn't that impressed upon me when I was younger. I just, the things that I watched the most were probably the million dollar movie, which Mm -hmm. played on WPIX channel 11 in New York every day. Also at like four o'clock that came on. So I'd watch, I'd watch Barnabas Collins and then, you know, I'd watch Miriam Hopkins or Joan, you know, Bennett or something in a movie. And um, I I don't know. I just, you know, I I think careers are like that. I don't, I don't, I don't think too many people I know start out thinking, oh, I'm going to do this in my life and this is where I'm going. And then that's where they end up. Uh It's usually, and I find that way in working in, 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 uh, features and and television shows like the things that people call me up for and they say i want to hire you for this i'm like really okay i'll do that and then you know it's so life is what happens to you when you're making other plans it's the kind of i mean it's a cliche but it's it's true but but i feel like since i came back uh 
you know, I took a break from acting for a long time. Um, I got married and I actually wasn't getting a lot of roles in my mid thirties to late thirties. And I met my husband and he said, well, I'm being transferred with my job. So can we move up to San Francisco? And I said, you know, I guess so. Cause nobody wants me anymore. Nobody's calling me. I don't know what to do. And I really was just an actor for hire and I wasn't getting any calls. So I stopped working and I just raised my family. And then I got a call out of the blue to be in your next. And yeah. that movie blew up. Yeah. So, so when I went to the Toronto Film Festival for that movie, and I saw all the executives because we hadn't um, we hadn't sold it yet, out you know in the lobby on their phones calling their higher up saying, you know we got to buy this movie. And then the next day we had five offers from really big companies. I thought, wow, motherhood's really hard and acting's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you that's know, the lesson. Yeah, so I I said to my agent at the time, who thankfully hadn't lost my number, um, <laughs> and hadn't I hadn't spoken to him in six years, you know, since before your next. I said I, I think I want to kind of come back to this. I want to come back to acting and and do this again. And it was really only at that time in my career, um, when I took that long break and I came back that I realized, oh, these are my people. This is my home. This is actually what I do. I didn't realize it. I mean, I went to a few horror conventions, you uh -huh. know, my early, you know, in the in the latter part of my early life, and I. But I did. It didn't really dawn on me until you're next. And then I said, okay, my kids are going to grow up at some point. I'm going <laughs> to need something to do. So why don't I just try to go back into acting? And and then I decided that you know through some other fluky things that happened that maybe i would try to produce but you know those kinds of things weren't available to a lot of young actors when we were growing up but again when i worked on your next i i um was working with joe swanberg and amy simetz and ty west and you know they they were acting in this movie but they were also writers and yeah, yeah. themselves and i went oh this is what the people do now this is what they do how yeah. come i didn't do that how come i didn't do that well Everybody stayed in their lane at that point, you know, uh -huh. in my career. That, you know, I was an actor. That's all I did. And you didn't have too many hyphenated people back then. And now we have hyphenates everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I've become a hyphenate. Yeah. And, yeah. So that's what I'm, so I guess here I am now. And, <laughs> and you know, I'm, nobody's going to, who's going to work with me in comedy or even though I think I'm funny. Um, <laughs> I don't think so. So. If I want to work in this business, you know, um, why don't I work where I, I'm a part of a club that, you know, I kind of, we all get one another. So I might as well continue on with horror. Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, great. That, that's getting into actually something I wanted to ask you about. I don't want to go too far down. <laughs> We're already going so far down this road, but I just. Uh, Let's keep going, no, Dan. This is a good road. What's wrong with I, you? I, I have to we're all at home. No, it's true. Yeah, come on, man. We make the. <laughs> yeah, but, we don't have a boss. Like no one's gonna yell at us and be like, "Damn, yeah. that wasn't what you were supposed to do." <laughs> that just confirms an impression that I had that, like, you know, that you had uh, taken this break, and then like people like Adam Wingard, like maybe they're the people who grew up being fans of those earlier films and sort of like now wanted you to to be part of what they were doing, you know, like, and I think that's absolutely true. I think yeah. that's absolutely. And, and they could have called any number of women that are my contemporaries, you know, Felissa Rose or, 
um, Caroline Williams or um, Kelly Maroney or Amanda Wiss or Heather, Heather Langenkamp. I'm friends with all of those ladies. They all want to work, by the way. So if yeah. anybody's listening to this podcast, you should, you know, think about them as well. And I think I just got lucky. Well, actually, it was at an Alamo Drafthouse screening in um, in Texas of Reanimator, and and uh, Stuart Gordon was there, and so was Jeffrey <clears throat> and Simon Barrett, the writer of Your Next, talked to Stuart and said you know, we have this horror movie coming up and I don't know, we kind of like to reach out to Barbara Crampton to play the mom in it. What do you think? And Stuart said, oh no, she's retired. She's not doing, she's not working anymore. And that was kind of true. Um, but for some reason, Simon didn't listen to him and thought, you know what? I want to hire Barbara Crampton. So I, they offered me the role. Keith Calder and Jessica Wu and Adam and Simon, they just offered it to me without talking to me. Uh, so really it was, it really was a fluky situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I said to my agent, when he called me, I said, well, don't they want to talk to me or, you know, don't they want to see what I look like now? I mean, I'm not on social, I wasn't on social media at the time. And they said, and he said, no, they just want to hire you. Do you want the job? It starts in 10 days. And, <laughs> and I read the script and I thought, oh, it's a cute little script. This is nice. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't do yeah. And I did it for a fluke. I did that for a fluke. It was all, it was all luck. It really was. I feel well, like I know that those guys were working hard in their craft. I mean, yeah. them, they, they, they actually imagined this movie because I think they had gone to another TIFF screening of, um, of a James Wan film. Whether I don't, I don't know whether it was what was happening at the time, Insidious or The Conjuring was probably Insidious, uh -huh. and. Um, they thought, wow, this movie's fantastic. And they wanted to get a little more commercial with their work because they'd been working in the trenches of independent cinema, horror cinema for so long. They all banded together after meeting one another, each other at film festivals and said, what can we make? What can we, yeah. what can we put together to, you know, do as well as James Wan is doing right now. And that's the script for your next. That's great. Yeah. The, uh, I feel like going back to what you were, you were saying earlier, but like, I feel like, Every everything that's been really exciting and every opportunity that's really worked out well for me has kind of just popped up and I had to make the decision, okay, I'll just do this thing. Like I'll do it as a, on a lark. And those are always the things that seem to work out best, even if it's like a little bit outside my wheelhouse or a little bit scary. Yeah, and I think you just have to be, you know, I, I don't I think you have to be ready for it, is what I was gonna say. But you know, you you, you have to keep at it is another thing that I would, would say to other people that are in the business that are trying to do whatever you're doing. You guys, you know, work in comedy and people work in art and whatever. You, you, you know, your career, if you, a lot of people switch careers these days and do different things, but if you're in the movie business, it's a very long uphill and downhill career, television business too, right? Uh -huh. And you have to just, hang in there for those times that nothing's happening and keep, you know, keep trying to generate things and keep making stuff on your own and keep trying. And then, you know, things will pop up and you, you can't give up hope. It's a long, you know, your career is a long game. I mean, I've been doing yeah. this for 30, 35 years, more than that really. And I thought I was done when my, when I was 38, 39, I thought, Oh, that's it for me. I had reanimator head from beyond. I did a lot of soap opera work. 
okay, I had a good enough career. That's fine. I'm married now. I'm just going to go off into the sunset. And then I had another opportunity and it made me realize, you know, that, that it's a long game and you have to hang in there. And even Reanimator was, you know, was kind of a hit when it came out, but it wasn't a blockbuster. It wasn't, mm -hmm. it developed its cult status over time. So there's a lot of things that people do now that they think, oh, I didn't really hit, you know, hit a big splash with that. But those things have to develop over time. And now we have so mm -hmm. much more product out there. It, it does really take time for things to germinate and, you know, give rise to something that people think is, is brilliant. Look at The Thing when it came out. Nobody thought <laughs> The Thing was that any great shakes of a film. And now people love that movie. I think mm -hmm. I think Roger Ebert even trashed it in his initial oh, yeah, review he gave of it like The Thing. like two and a half stars or something. It was crazy. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that uh, that uh, I, I think that pep talk uh, was something that Dan really needed right now. <laughs> Thank to be you. honest. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, on the subject of the film business and hanging in there, let's talk a little bit about a movie called Freaky, released so does, in 2020. So, so tell, tell me how it relates to hanging in there. I can, I can think of a way, but I want you to tell me. <laughs> well, oh man, uh, 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 I can't, Elliot. <laughs> Well, sometimes, uh, sometimes when your body gets switched with the with the serial killers, you just got to keep trying. You can't give uh, up yeah. the first time. <laughs> so, uh, just to clarify for listeners, this is freaky. This was released in 2020. I think it's in uh, theaters, depending on where you live, and uh, otherwise, it's on VOD. So, I think it's on VOD worldwide, probably. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I do want to say that like uh, this is like slightly newer than we usually do so uh as always there's going to be a lot of spoilers so just if you want to see freaky uh go out yeah. and do that first i mean i personally not to not to jump to the end i would recommend to pause this podcast go watch that movie then come back but you know that's me um so let's talk a little bit about <laughs> freaky now this is a bloomhouse pictures uh production um we movie opens we have a bunch of teens hanging out Outside of a mansion, they're talking about a local killer, the Blissfield Butcher. This is like almost like a legendary figure that's also kind of undefined. They think he might be just a myth that the parents tell the kids so they don't party too much in on homecoming weekend. Already, it kind of sets the tone for like a almost like a scream or a happy death day, like horror, horror movie with comedy elements, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I should this is a note for parents out there you can use the story of a killer to scare your kids into doing things, but it loses power over time. So when I first started telling my older son, Sammy, that if he didn't clean his room, then the messy the messy madman was going to come and, and murder him, he oh, was frightened. But now that I use it for everything, I'm like, Sammy, can you please close the door when he stepped outside? Or the messy murderer is going to come. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. Or like, Sammy, can you, like, you got to put your shoes on in case you have to run from the messy murderer. He's like, yeah, yeah. So it really, you got to use it sparingly, parents. That's That's what I'll tell you. Uh, I also, just because Stuart uh, mentioned Happy Death Day, uh, just to clarify, this is the director of that movie, and Happy Death Day to you. Um, okay. Oh, Happy Death Day to you movie. too, Dan. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. So, so yeah, and it's kind of like a, a Freaky Friday meets like Friday the Thirteenth too. You know, there's a lot of. It's kind of a. It feels like a slasher to me in a way as well. well yeah. That's the, funny thing about this guy is like he's, he's not now he's making a cottage industry of just like putting a couple of genres together like yeah happy death day is like a slasher plus a time loop and now this is a slasher plus freaky friday body switch type if and, i'm ever gonna if i'm ever gonna get to see that vampire submarine movie that i've always wanted to see this is this is the guy to do it <laughs> I know, right? 
my god yeah yes well, he's charming isn't he he's his you know in all of his films i there's a certain charm and and it's you know i think comedy is actually hard to do with horror movies and do it well um i've i've been the product of a few of them um and sometimes they turn out good and sometimes they really don't they fall flat but i i think he gets it i think he knows how to how to marry those two uh genres together yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's tough to say like and if it, it feels like uh well we'll we'll get into it but we were introduced to this uh killer he he kills he dispatches these teens in fairly grisly ways uh, we're introduced. The killer steals a ceremonial mask off the wall. This is the Blissfield Butcher character played by Vince Vaughn, um, and not played. I was a hundred percent expecting Vince Vaughn to be the like quip-heavy murderer character, like a Freddy Krueger meets yeah. Jason. But he's not, and it's I was he's just very... a Jason. <laughs> he's just yeah. A Jason. This and Although this I is I want I want to mention this is now the second. Years removed, but this is the second Flophouse movie now where someone has been killed by having a wine bottle shoved in their mouth <laughs> until it goes into the throat. And seeing what was, that, what was the it other was one? like sorority something. It was sorority the Row. sorority row. Yeah. yeah, sorority row. And I was like, oh, this, like, it, it felt like seeing an old friend again, <laughs> <laughs> seeing this particular kill. But Dan, I will say, say that, I mean, uh, you know, spoiler alert uh, uh, for final judgments. I enjoyed the, the movie, uh, of, uh, like, you know, quite a bit, but, um, there are a few things that I uh, took some issue with. And I think that like, it's nice to see this like very traditional Jason style killer on the one hand, but when you combine it with this uh, freaky Friday thing, like part of the fun of that is seeing the personality switch. And so Vince Vaughn gets a lot of personality to play, but uh, the, the lead our female lead gets a lot less. I Catherine think. Newton. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that's a good juxtaposition for her character as being yeah. this young kind of, you know, uh, you know, she she's billed as sort of a miss, you know, uh, um, you know, a, what do I want to say, like, uh, like an outcast, yeah. you know, and she, and so, um, but she's, you know, she's a bubbly teen, and so, uh -huh. and to juxtapose that with the the you know the jason you know type of character that's very stoic that doesn't say anything that's really scary that you know <laughs> stares at people and moves really heavy and you know with menace i think she did a great job with that and what else mm -hmm. would they have given her if they gave vince vaughn this really you know out there kind of personality and, ah, woo, and yeah. you know that kind of a thing what are they going to give her so i i think what they gave her was was a good, you know, differentiation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I she think does that a she great did job a with it. Very good job with what was given. I don't know, like I guess. But I understand what you're saying. There, a little not more. A, she, yeah, she didn't have a lot. She didn't have as much to do. It yeah. was, it was a Vince Vaughn movie in a way. Yeah. You know? And and Vince Vaughn when he, I mean, this is jumping ahead, but when when they switch personalities, he's like more he's he's got a much bigger personality than she had when she was playing the same character. So it was a there were times where I was like. Vince, come on, Vince. But and also, and when, when they, he was when, it up a little bit, but you yeah, know. And, and when the killer is in when the killer is in Millie's body, he also is much better at makeup than she is. Or and so and that threw me slightly. I, I love like, that touch. Though. I was like, was Vince like, Vaughn doesn't wear, wasn't wearing any makeup before. Yeah. But, uh, it was it was not explained, but he had a much better sense of style than she did. <laughs> that was that red jacket and the red. Oh lipstick. yeah, she looked uh, she looked good. The, uh, so yeah, so the killer, after dispatching the teens, steals a ceremonial dagger named Ladola, 
And then we are introduced to <laughs> Which our... is just in someone's house. Yep, it's just whatever. a rich person's house. He Fine. collects artifacts. It's the in the classic tradition of the of the wealthy person's cabinet of curiosities, the forerunner to the modern museum, Dan. Like, <laughs> well, let's I, not you know, buy I, it. I, I'm, I'm just mentioning it. I, I kind of love it. I love in these movies where when they just like hand wave it away, where they're just like, oh, this artifact was just here. It's fine. I bet Don't you that guy, it. he went to he went to an, a charity auction for his kid's private school. Uh-huh. And or a he Pier just got, 1 Imports. Yeah, or Pier 1 Imports. Or, yeah, or uh, World Market or something. And he, uh, he got into a bidding war with another dad, and he didn't even know what he was bidding on. And they were like, you got this ceremonial Aztec dagger. And he's like, great, okay. Uh, <laughs> I guess I have this now. He thought it was a signed Mark McGuire ball that he was bidding on but <laughs> so that's my backstory for why that's in his house great perfect so we're we're introduced to millie who is our hero who uh we've already we've already talked about played by Catherine newton is um she's a little bit of a pushover she's a little meek uh she's got a mother with a drinking problem she's got a sister named charlene which is my <laughs> wife's name uh, yeah we, charlene was very excited to see another charlene represented on screen now uh, now Stuart, you're probably wondering so uh-huh, yep, uh go katie on. katie finneran who plays the mother in freaky you're probably wondering elliot did you see her tony award-winning performance in noises off on broadway I yes i did you, in yeah. 2002 so fa- so I, you were probably wondering that i'll just get that out of the way yes i did Barbara, i want to make it clear that this is a running theme of the show which is Elliot not really name dropping because it's not like he hangs out with these people just you know mentioning that he saw people in in plays yeah so, so he knows things one. Elliot knows things oh yeah I know that if, oh, if, there's one thing he does it's no if things. someone was it was someone was performing at a Broadway show between probably 1995 and 2014 or so then there's a good chance I saw them in it and so I saw that production and audience just go to your bingo card where it says noises off and put it on your Elliot's <laughs> theater going bingo card put one on noises off Stuart continue <laughs> so yeah we're so we're introduced to this character Millie she goes to school everybody kind of bullies her we find out that her father is dead and that you would think that, that would make people bully her less that is not the case mm. everybody bullies her including the shop teacher played by Alan Rock mm-hmm. yeah. oh my favorite so good I hated him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're supposed to not like him. He was I mean, so mean. I was so torn because to me, anytime I see Alan Ruck in something, he's the hero of the story, no matter who he's playing <laughs> or what he's doing. And for him to be so mean in this, I was like, oh, Alan, it's really hard really hard for me to like you but i still do but you know i think that was the most engaged audrey was watching i mean she watched she she enjoyed it largely uh but like the most engaged was yelling for him to die <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's how she acts when she sees him in succession as well right uh, uh, yeah <laughs> yeah and on spin city oh weird yeah. uh, i guess that yeah. makes sense actually i feel like he's done a pretty good late career like slime ball arc i don't know yeah maybe oh yeah i mean he's he's uh but every but every character has a little touch of cameron so you can't yeah. you can't totally hate them still the the whiny rich kid who's dead doesn't like him you know which is succession i guess right yeah that's yeah. true so maybe succession is about cameron's family does ferris bueller ever show up in succession Stuart? i haven't watched it <laughs> Uh, I think he shows up in the second season. I don't remember it very well. Um, So we, uh, so in our movie, Millie is stuck at school after the big game. Uh, we find out that she is the, uh, what is the, she's the mascot. So she's wearing this comically oversized, uh, costume of a beaver. Yeah. It's it's great. Yeah. It's, it's great. It also, it's like, this is the perfect prop for a character who's going to have to run away from a killer in a moment. Uh, I I also like, I don't want to harp on anyone, any like actors 
looks, but it's one of those uh, movies where everyone acts as if she's hideous early on when she's clearly yeah. like a she very pretty person. She doesn't look like somebody who would be bullied. That, I yeah. watched it with my husband last night. He said the same thing. But then I reminded him of, you know, my kids' experiences in school. Yeah. I have a senior in high school and then I have a, a kid who's in college. And, you know, kids are mean at that age. They're mean to everybody. Yeah. A lot of it, Dan, is how you carry yourself. When I was young, I got bullied a lot, but now I'm a successful underwear model, and you wouldn't guess from <laughs> that, that. You wouldn't guess it from that that I was that I was bullied so much, yeah, but it happens, you know. Yeah, and sometimes Dan, people bully people because they're intimidated by them. It's happened to me all the time. When I, <laughs> is, that, is that why you guys are constantly now, bullying me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm an agent to a popular underwear model, Elliot Kalen. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Keep those jobs coming, Stu. Uh, yeah. they, they, the one opportunity I feel like they missed with this mascot costume is not having the killer in Millie's body using the mascot costume oh, yeah, that to been kill good. someone. Yeah. yeah. But say, I guess they're saving it for Freaky, too. Yeah. So it's great. So she, the, her mother forgets to, well, her mother drinks too much and passes out and fails to pick her up from the game she's left at school alone all the lights go out except of course we see the butcher is standing in the parking lot he chases her eventually he catches her he stabs her with the ceremonial ladola dagger that he's stolen which makes kind of a weird spooky sound and at this point like uh there's a visual there's a little special effect visual where they're transported to the top of an aztec temple uh, so we know that there's something definitely supernatural going on. <laughs> yeah. Not, neither of them seem to notice that they've been transported to a temple and there's a bunch of weird blue lightning going on. Like, until uh, the switcheroo happens uh, at, at midnight, uh, it's like the, the two of them don't seem to notice it. You know, like they're... They're living their normal lives, you know, yeah, like stalking yeah. and slashing people and getting stalked yeah. and slashed. <laughs> it's possible that the football field was built on an Aztec temple. And this oh. is one of those kind of David McCauley type books where they show you cross sections of things. Uh-huh. I see. Yep. Yeah. But, so, uh, I, and but I, th- I really loved that effect. I was not expecting it. And it I thought it was neat. really cool. The fact that they didn't draw too much attention to it and it just kind of happened. And then it was and a neat thing. And it's one of those effects that made me kind of miss... Well, like many things, it made me miss seeing a movie in a movie theater. Like, I feel yeah. like it would have looked great on, on the big screen. Um, so he, he, you know, he stabs Millie and then he gets a matching cut on his own shoulder. We know something is up. And then he is scared off when Millie's sister, Charlene, the police officer, arrives and starts <laughs> shooting at him. Uh, we think everything is fine. She goes to the police. She makes a report. They, uh... When the killer was scared off, he left the dagger behind, Ladola. Uh, I'm going to say that as many times as possible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's brand, it's all about branding, guys. Uh, and then they go Wait, to... Wait, so s- is that... Is your, that's your brand now, or...? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, when I found out that we were doing this movie, I reached out to the manufacturers of Ladola brand daggers. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I, there you go. And they said if I <laughs> mention it... Slice of tomatoes. They'll give you some money. Yeah, I mean, you know, times times are tough here in in this economy. So I figure if I can make a little bit of Ladola dollars or La Dollars. I knew you had to say it, Stu. Now, uh, for the record, I'm now looking up what Ladola means, and Uh I'm finding some contradictory things. Uh, Apparently in Spanish, uh, according to one website, it does mean leapfrog. So I don't know. But uh, it also – in – in Slavic mythology, apparently Dola are protective ex- protective spirits that embody human fate. And in Sanskrit, it seems to mean swinging or oscillating. So I don't know if any of those really, really apply, but 
uh, if anyone knows the the uh, appropriate meaning of the word dola, write in to yeah. the Flophouse, care of Dan's apartment, 123 America Street, and so forth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, they, they go, uh, Millie goes to sleep, uh, we get some special effects, and then when she wakes up, that's right, we've had a body switch, and we are, the screen announces in, uh, with a pretty funny Chiron, that it is Friday the 13th, yeah. so it is indeed a Freaky Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they did a good job with that reveal of the two characters, because that's when we first see them, you know, switching bodies, and how um, the character of Millie woke up, and, you know, she was now the butcher, and looking around her room and seeing all the girly things and, you know, feeling her body. And then, you know, her mom walks in and just the just the way she carried herself all changed. And I thought uh, the actress did a very good job with that. And mm-hmm. and then uh, Vince Vaughn was in his lair. weird. <laughs> you know, the lair was pretty cool. The, yeah, the yeah, production yeah. design, you know, it's like, like these open windows and a dirty old bloody mattress on the ground and all these mm-hmm weird things hanging, you know, from um, the ceiling. I, it looked like, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre living room or something. Uh-huh. And, was... and, right? Yeah, no, I, just, I was just gonna, like, I loved how, like, it was like a joke in and of itself that they, like, pushed the serial killer lair all the way, <laughs> you know, like she wakes up and, like, there's dead animals hanging from the ceiling and yeah, such. Yeah, bones and things and stuff hanging around. Yeah, it was... Like this, this serial killer has spent more time on interior design than I ever have in my normal apartment. <laughs> well, you got to make a space your own and you got to make it so that you're comfortable in it. And clearly he has very specific comfort needs and it takes a lot of work. The, uh, I was reading about, uh, the, the factory Andy Warhol's building and it's about how they like painted the inside of it and covered it with foil. So it was all silver, shining silver everywhere in the interior of the building. And I was like, I would find that distracting, but apparently to someone that was the right workplace. So you can't, you know, it's like him with his lair. You can't judge. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. As long as the end result is, is great. You know, you can't really fault it. Um, And I mean, the Blissfield butcher, he's had a long career in killing people in Blissfield. You got it. The guy's still going strong. You got to give it to him. He knows, he knows what works. I feel like there's got to be a bunch of old mills in this town for him to survive this long. And this, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Well, but, it's like how in Gotham City, there's that whole section of the city that's just abandoned amusement parks. That yeah. guys use. The now we talked about uh, we talked about Catherine Newton who plays Millie, but in this case she plays the butcher. Uh, as like the butcher realizes that there's been a swap, and I feel like for an actress. Uh, like a young actress, this is probably got to be really fun to get to play this like, yeah. like straightforward and evil of a character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like that kind of role doesn't come around a lot. She's this little girl, you know, and she's yeah. this cute young thing, and she's playing this, you know, really as you say, evil sort of dark character who, you know, she doesn't speak a lot in the second half of the movie. It's mostly with her facial features and how she's you know, peering at people and looking at them and being very menacing. And, you know, I wonder how much of that really came from her or, you know, did the director work with her or, you know, how, how did that happen with both of them? Because they were, they, you know, I, I thought she did a great job with it. Yeah. It was believable um, to me. Yeah, And I also liked how, you know, like Vince Vaughn is a giant man. And I liked how once the switch happened, uh, the killer in this much smaller body sort of had to like 
kept sort of trying to fight like uh, he was still Vince Vaughn. <laughs> But then, like, had to figure out a better way of murdering people. Well, this, the scene where she's trying to, he, he, him and her body is trying to break down a door. And yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah, in Vince Vaughn's body, you could probably just smash a door down. But not when you're in <laughs> Catherine Newton's body. Like, they, they had some funny stuff with that. Yeah, and then Vince Vaughn was, like, running around with his hands out and, you know, very <laughs> early. You know, he, he kind of really worked into that a lot. Um, just being more feminine and, and in his mannerisms and and in his speaking voice and everything, you know, it was, it was charming. Yeah. And I feel, well, I, I, I don't know, like at least I, w- I was a little nervous that it was going to get over the top or become like offensive. And it, I didn't feel like it at any point, like it felt pretty, like it, it disappeared. Like you believed it, uh, yeah. at least for me. Well, there's a, and there's a, there's a scene later and I won't talk about it too much until we get to it where they kind of take this, the fact that it's a, it's, a girl in a in Vince Vaughn's body to its logical conclusion, and and it it was a scene that like really worked for me when it maybe shouldn't have in the way. like it's a scene I didn't think they would be able to pull off and that they did, and we'll talk yeah. about that yeah. scene later. So for, so from now on, I'm just going to clarify. Uh, I'm when I refer to I'm going to refer to the butcher, even though the the butcher is in Millie's body. I will refer to that character as the butcher, and now Millie uh-huh. is in the butcher's body. That is now Millie. Just to be clear. Yeah. Uh, okay. So they both end up going. You know, they try to get used to their new bodies. They both end up going to school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Millie realizes that uh, she realizes her predicament. And that she also realizes that they there's a sketch out for the butcher. So she the pl- people are looking for her. She can't just wander around. Also, she stinks. So yeah. she <laughs> she wants to take a shower. Yeah, of course. So they they both end up going to school. The butcher's using this as an opportunity. I'm guessing to show off uh, some cool outfits and to stalk hmm. some new victims. <laughs> Uh, we're introduced to uh, we're introduced to like uh, like a queen bee character at the high school named Ryler. Now, Elliot, you're kind of an expert on this sort of thing. What medieval profession is a Ryler? <laughs> oh, so a Ryler, as as you've mentioned, a lot of trendy names now they are medieval uh, occupations. Fletcher, a Cooper, of course, a Fletcher, a Piper, uh, a Ryler. I assume is someone who would kind of rile up. Uh, a bear before a bear baiting match, like they, like a rodeo clown, like they just run out and go, hey, 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 yeah. bear, hey, bear, yeah. hey, bear. Either that, or uh, so or, more of a psychological bothering though. Like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, bear, what's over your shoulder? Nothing. You fell for it again. Uh, either that, or maybe, some, or maybe someone who made rye bread. That's another possibility. Uh, yeah, okay. Rye bread, I guess. Yeah, in probably like medieval Germanic or Prussian states, oh, you know, uh, that's where you would find that. Uh, so yeah, those are my two thoughts on what that uh-huh. would be. Yeah. So the Ryler character, uh, gets, uh, stuffed in a, uh, a freezing machine that's in the locker room. Uh, I'm guessing it's this some was, kind of an athletic thing. It's, uh, this it's was something... cryotherapy, but I do not think that there's any cryotherapy machine. A, number one, that's a very expensive piece of equipment for this <laughs> yes. high school to have. And number two, I don't think there's one that goes to like liquid nitrogen levels of, of cooling so that something yeah. might this was be in, in a high shattered. Yeah. Yeah. In the movie where, in the movie where a serial killer and a team teenagers switch bodies this was the part where i was like hold on a second yeah it's a futuristic cryo booth not and in the girls locker room so it's not even accessible to most of the school well, not most, yeah. it's not accessible to half the student body it's, it's it seemed like a strange thing and at first 
I was like, is it a, like a sauna? No, it says cryo on it, and she freezes to the point that she shatters. So uh-huh. I, it, I don't know. It might be like when a school gets a 3D <laughs> printer, and it's just to show off to the parents to be yeah, like, look at what yeah. we got. We never <laughs> use it, but we have it. Honestly, I had to look on Wikipedia to figure out why the hell there was this <laughs> flash freezing human device. Do they this, do uh, they explain it in the novelization of Freaky, Dan? Do you know? <laughs> By Alan, By Dean, Alan Foster. Dean Foster, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We both, Dan, we both guessed who the writer probably is. Alan Dean Foster. Uh, okay, so the so Ryler gets killed. Uh, Millie. Well, you should. We should talk convince- about Millie. Yeah, who are Millie's two friends that she that she talks yeah. about? We have Jess, Jess and Nyla, or Josh and Nyla, right? Josh and Nyla, yeah. And they're they're her two friends, and uh, they're the only ones who kind of like give her any support. Otherwise, since most yeah. of the student body sees her as a Carrie esque outcast, yeah, you know? a target for bullying. So Millie uh, finds she stalks them, finds them, and then manages to convince them uh, of the situation in a pretty fun action sequence. Uh, it's like it starts as a chase as Nyla and Josh run away from Millie, thinking that Millie's the butcher with good reason. Uh, and then they end up getting in a big fight in the school, uh, the luckily unoccupied school cafeteria kitchen. Uh, and it's pretty fun. Like they get some good, like uh, it's, you know, like Vince Vaughn. Pans and things, yeah. 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 Vince Vaughn does a good job of, of making it seem like, uh, like Millie is getting used to this new body, this like giant, overly strong body. Yeah. Cause... And they're all just hitting each other with ladles and stuff. Like it, it's, there's something kind of Laurel and Hardy about it at a certain <laughs> yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, the Vince Vaughn body, like, she she doesn't want to hurt her friends, but yeah. they are hitting her with ladles, and she has this giant <laughs> Hulk who I've seen tear apart a car in, uh, in Brawl on whatever it's called. So, so Block 99. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she convinces them that she is her, she is Millie in the butcher's body by having a callback to a cheer that they did, or it was a handshake that they did in the beginning of the film. They did this weird handshake. So she does the hand. Who would know that handshake? Unless yeah. I was Millie. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then I go, holy crap. Oh my God, it's you. You know, and then she says some other things that nobody would know except for them. And then they believe her. Yeah, they answer all the like, all those uh, deep seated questions that teenagers only share with their, their besties. Now, and I think like, and it, and this, and this worked. I feel like the dynamic between the three of them is, it was was fun the whole whole time. Stuart mm-hmm. Elliot, what what would you ask me to make it clear that I was uh, in the body of a murderer? Oh, I would wow. say I'd say, "How are you doing today?" And you'd go, oh, "Well," and I'd be like, "That's Dan." Oh my God, what happened to him? Why is he in this killer's body? <laughs> uh, but yeah, Stu- uh, Stuart, what would you ask Dan? Mm, I would uh, let me let me see. I would. Uh, oh man, I don't, I'm like, how can I make a joke that isn't like, is like a joke and funny and not mean? (laughs) How how am I, how do I ask him something that actually doesn't reveal in front of our guests something that he probably doesn't want to be public knowledge in front of anybody? (laughs) Oh, I would probably, I would probably ask you to bake me, uh, something from your, uh, encyclopedia of bread. And mm-hmm. if you couldn't do it on command, <laughs> I would know you're a, yeah. a serial killer. I okay. love the idea of a serial killer in Dan's body who's like trying, thinks he can bluff you by like, <laughs> by like fussing with dough and things in the in the oven. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and I'm like, well, I turn the oven light on. I get I get down on my haunches and like, mm, it's gonna have a soggy bottom. I don't know. Real Dan <laughs> it's, it's, wouldn't it's, do this. It's just like 
it's just the Great British Bake Off at, at a certain point. Basically, yeah, and the yes. killer is like the killer's like, uh, I hope they don't notice that it kind of <laughs> fell apart at the end. And you'd be like, it kind of falls apart at the end. So, and yeah, Paul I Hollywood know, comes out and like sort of glares, and you think, <laughs> oh no, he think he thinks you you're not you are the killer, but then he shakes uh, your hand and realizes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been a deep dive into the Great British Baking Show. Yeah. So. <laughs> So they realize that the the heart of their problem is this magical dagger, Ladola, and they what? They look it up on the internet, and they no, they, they they look it up on the internet, and then they there's an inscription on it in Spanish. So they take it to the Spanish teacher uh-huh. at the school, who is kind of like the the he she, for some the Spanish teacher at this at this high school is basically the the non. English speaking native character you've seen a lot of horror movies who like is extremely superstitious and extremely knowledgeable about this this mystic artifact. Uh-huh. And was, this is another thing. She's, she literally says, Madre de Dios, when she's looking <laughs> yeah. at it. And I was like, come on. <laughs> and, and you know what was funny about that too? She she was the Spanish teacher and she's talking to the kid in Spanish. She's talking to Josh, by, played by uh, Misha. What's his last name? Osher. Osherovich? Osherovich, yeah. And and she's speaking to him, and she's like, ah, I don't know what you're saying. No, no comprende, for She's like, you've been taking my class for four years. He goes, yeah, I, I can't speak a word. And that is so my kid's experience in high school. Like, <laughs> happened in this movie that, I, because I have two, like, high schoolers, that I went, oh, my God, that is exactly what's happening. Because my daughter's taking Spanish. She's in the next room. For four years, she can't speak a word of it. Because, you know, they I don't know why, but we're just not good with yeah. languages here unless, you know, you're actually <laughs> speaking it every day as us Americans. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I was kind of like that with uh, with French when I tried to take French in school because I thought, like, the cool kids were all taking French. And then by the time mm-hmm. I started, I'm like, I'm not interested in this. I can't, I can't, you know, it's not fun to speak. <laughs> I had four years. None of it stuck. So <laughs> I, I Yeah. Remember. Well, unless you're using it all the time, you know. Yeah. I've made, made a couple of movies in Italy. And I actually had to work with the Italians, and they didn't speak English. So I learned more over there, you know, yeah. uh, working with them for six weeks than I did in in the night classes I took at UCLA before I went over to do the movies. Oh yeah, yeah. When when like when it's a life or death situation, in that you're like, where's the bathroom or where is this thing that I need? Then like it, you learn pretty quickly, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Anyway. So, yeah. So, uh, they figure out... uh, So, the Spanish teacher explains the stakes. And the stakes are, if they don't stab each other again, the change is going to be permanent. If they don't stab each other again by midnight, the change is Mm going to be permanent, right? So, right around now, uh, the butcher attacks the shop teacher, played by Alan Ruck. This is a pretty funny fight sequence. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Because the butcher keeps overestimating uh, his strength. So, uh, but eventually he manages to overcome and uh, the logical conclusion of uh, Alan Ruck ending on a, a table saw is fulfilled. It's great. Oh my it's God. Lovely. I can't believe how gory this movie was at times. <laughs> it was I great. Was, I was really surprised. Yeah, yeah. Because you know? this is a Blumhouse movie and they don't really do that much gore. Yeah, I mean, Happy, Happy Death Day was, did not have this same level of gore. No, uh, yeah. It really didn't. But I didn't it was, expect and it was to all, see that. It was all great. It was all it was all well done, and uh, it it was fairly visceral. I didn't I didn't expect to see that much of inside Alan Ruck, and 
<laughs> like it, you see a lot certainly, more of his insides than you certainly expect. not outside his book inside Alan Ruck. <laughs> yeah. yeah well that's I mean that he's talking emotionally there yeah. Yeah, yeah oh man he takes you into what he calls Ruck space his special place that only Alan Ruck knows about but now you get to join him inside Alan Ruck it's available from Ruck House his self-publishing arm of <laughs> yeah so the uh, of co- around now the cops have come to the school. They see uh, Millie and uh, Millie's friends and starts and they start to. We have a chase. They jump into Josh's terrible little car and uh, drive away from the school. Um, they, I really related to that car since my car is is falling <clears throat> apart and uh, constantly finding new ways to not work properly. So seeing uh, that was an, another moment where you're a person just watching a movie and you're like, this movie is speaking to me, maybe yeah. on a level that the filmmakers didn't expect to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, of course, uh, Millie's sister, Charlene, of course, my wife's name, Charlene. Uh, <laughs> is, I want, uh, please keep reminding us. <laughs> she, she ends up uh, chasing them. They uh, try to lose her in a giant discount store. Uh, they stick Millie in a changing room where she has a kind of like a catfish style heart to heart with her mom. Uh, they, this is a scene that goes on for a while where her mom. That was a cute scene. Yeah, yeah that's great. a good scene, Stu. Yeah. But it was, it, it was, it was funny in that I was like not expecting this kind of long heart, like heartfelt conversation between mother and daughter, uh, between a you know, in a changing room and the the mother doesn't realize that she's talking to her daughter, but it's the conversation their daughter needed to hear. Her mother instead thinks she's talking to uh, a man who... Uh, well, she becomes attracted to in that <laughs> yes, with yeah. his voice. Yeah, and as I said, I've been, I've been watching a lot of Catfish lately, so I was, having, I was having some real triggering moments here where I'm like, oh, I don't know, you should, really shouldn't be going through with this. But luckily, uh, it doesn't get any weirder. Um, they end up... Uh, I, I feel like they end up they they run off or they find out that uh, the butcher has taken some potential victims, including Booker, who is Millie's crush. Uh, they the take the one nice member of the football team. Everyone else in the football team is a real jerk, except for yeah. Booker. Yeah. yeah, I just want to mention too during the football team sequence when they were when they were out there in the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. one of the guys and I don't remember which guy it was, but he had on his jersey the name Strode. Oh, uh, Lori Strode. Mm. <laughs> yeah, only for the true horror freaks. <laughs> the real Woody Strode sickos. from the John Ford Westerns. Yeah, got it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, they, 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 they find via Instagram where this dude is, the, the one that uh, Millie has the crush on. Booker. And there's, uh, yeah, she's threatening these dudes. The the killer is uh and goes into this back area where it's like it's a black light miniature golf course haunted house kind of uh-huh. thing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, a- what is this town that they're in that has the cryotherapy and this cool ass <laughs> mini golf place that I would love to go to. It's definitely a business I've never heard of, but now I really want to go to. <laughs> yeah. Like a haunted house mini golf. It's they did it's, they did definitely like, you know, take some things that they thought, oh, this would be cool. Let's stick this in the movie. You yeah. know, but but it kind of worked. Like it did. I mean, the cryogenic therapy thing kind of <laughs> threw me off a little bit. But I, I went with it. But yeah, and then that other place, the miniature golf place, it was like, what is that? But you know, you just kind of go with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you, I feel like 
the cryo the cryotherapy bit wasn't even in the script. They were just like they had one lying around Bloomhouse Studios, and they're like, "We got to use this thing." <laughs> yeah, thing's been lying around. Yeah, we we bought it thinking we would use it in four movies. We've used it in two. We gotta, <laughs> yeah. we gotta. Like it hasn't, it hasn't paid for itself yet. And I, I love the, I do love this like blacklight mini golf course. Cause it's kind of like, like disco bowling or whatever, you know, when they or blacklight bowling, but it also, it also kind of reminded me of the end of the, uh, the guest when they're like walking oh, through yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the maze. So and it's, it's a, I would, it struck me what a realistic looking blacklight mini golf course. It wasn't what like any time on the TV show Modern Family, they would do like a haunted house. It would be like, well, this is a haunted house from a movie. Like this is yeah. not something a family could put together. Yeah. But here I was like, yeah, I believe this is like, this is what a a, a haunted house uh, mini golf course would look like should one exist. Although you know? that is in concert, uh, that is, sorry, concert, that is in contrast to the uh, replacement homecoming dance that the teens seem to be oh, able to throw together with like a DJ and so <laughs> and many like decorations. It looks yeah, yeah, amazing. That's, that's the, that's the opposite of that. Yeah, There's, but I think teens I think teens are more likely to be able to put shit together at the last minute than say we are, Dan. I mean, kids are pretty true. industrious, you know, especially mm -hmm. when parties are are involved. And the other thing I want to say about that mini golf course is there's a bunch of things written on the walls. Like there's one, it's like a Grim Reaper and says like I'll get you at tea time or something like that. Uh -huh, that's and right. I was like somebody somebody had the fun of thinking up what they were going to write on the wall of the, of the haunted house mini golf course. So it was of course, a fun day on the set. Of course, they uh, they they manage to subdue the butcher, and they manage to convince. Oh, and they also knock out Booker, and they go back to Josh's house where Josh's mom is supposed to be gone for the weekend, uh, and they convince Booker, Millie's crush, that there was a body swap when Millie reads from memory recites yeah recites from memory oh, a a love poem that she had written for him. And left in his locker, what, a week ago, two weeks ago? And anonymous, and put it in there anonymous, yeah, yeah. so he wasn't signed. Yeah. Uh, and this this is where we, this this starts a uh, a ball rolling downhill, which will eventually hit the bottom of the hill, but uh, it becomes a very exciting little uh, plot arc for me. <laughs> I, I, I want to say, too, though, uh, this points up one of the, <laughs> I know it's uh, it's weird to, worry about plot holes in a uh, Freaky Friday slasher movie. Go but on. I do think that uh, in the movie, they it is pretty easy for Millie to... To memorize a poem? Yeah, no, tell to, me about it. <laughs> easy for Millie to convince her friends and her love interest that, um, that she is in the body of this murderer. And... Um, but with Charlene, who is on the police, yeah. could like mm -hmm. help out greatly. They don't even make an attempt to be like, yeah. let's call her on the phone. Let's have him say a few things that, you know, like the special keywords, like with everyone else. You know, it seems like a weird, uh, weird problem well, with the movie. I would say she, did, I, when, I thought it was a little refreshing to me that she could convince, because in real life, if someone came to you and said, here's a thing that I know about that, that, Nobody else would know except for you and me. You it would you wouldn't didn't, you wouldn't reject that out of hand too much. But whenever whenever Shar sees a problem, she just pulls out her gun and yells mm -hmm. at it. And maybe that's a situation they just don't think they can get into. You know, yeah. it's not until Charlene is literally like disarmed and locked in a jail cell that uh, Millie is like, "Hey, I'm your sister. Okay, I gotta go. Goodbye." <laughs> so yeah, I get it. 
So, uh, now, now which, which raises the question, though, Stu, if you were switched with somebody else's body, uh-huh, how yep, would you on. convince your Charlene that it was you? Ooh, that's very difficult. I would, I'm in a different body. I would probably start reciting, I don't know, like Lord of the Rings facts. Uh, <laughs> And I wouldn't even have to be that accurate about it, because as soon as I started talking, I would see her eyes glaze over, and I would know I got her. <laughs> <laughs> so we, so uh, Booker's on the team. They come up with a plan. They need to get the they need to get the dagger back from the police station, and they need to bring it back and stab uh, the butchers so that they can get that body swap happening. So they go to the police station, of course. Uh, at Josh is left with the butcher to guard a tied up uh, butcher. Uh, They get to the police station and uh, Nyla sneaks in. She distracts Charlene briefly by saying the butcher's outside, which I feel like you're raising the stakes too high. I feel like at that point when you're trying to uh, like uh, misdirect somebody, you could go a little bit like you, I feel like you're, you're putting Charlene's uh, a lot, which is my wife's name. Uh, (laughs) Charlene's uh, alert level at like 100% at that point. The only reason I agree with you is because the butcher actually is outside, but it Millie in his body. And so I would worry that Charlene would run out, see the butcher in the car, and just fire at him and kill her own sister in a tragic, almost Greek, you know, sort of thing. Um, (laughs) Maybe there was a prophecy about it. Uh I don't know. I'm just spitballing the Greek tragedy version of this story, which I would call, I guess, uh, Freakopus, I guess. Freakopus. Freakopus or Oedipus Freaks. Uh, Now we get some more complications. Josh's mom comes home and uh, tries to cut uh, the butcher free, thinking the butcher is Millie. Um, And of course, at this point, the butcher manages to get free and chase them around with a knife uh, before uh, fleeing the house and stealing a police car. And the dagger? Does she get the dagger at this point? Yeah, he gets the dagger at that point. There's a lot of action happening. Yeah, when she goes to the police station, she gets the Mm -hmm. dagger. Now, while we're at the police station... Uh, Millie and Booker are hiding in the back of the car and they have a really deep conversation. Oh uh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and this was, uh, this was my wife's favorite scene in the movie. She loved it. I uh, believe it, it was, it was so yeah. like, I was not expecting a, a scene with Vince Vaughn could convince me that he is a teenage girl with a huge crush on a boy. And that both, like, they are, both actors are great in this scene. Yeah. Uh, and he, like, moves to the back seat of the car to sit next to Millie. And there's there's even a kiss. And it's so fucking funny. <laughs> and it's a, it's a scene that they, that, like, they're, it feels like they're doing it real. Like, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a funny scene, but they're not, they're not playing it really silly. Yeah, they and, play it honestly. Yeah. And, yeah. and, 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 and it's played and very sweetly. Yeah. Yeah. And I never got the I never got the sense that the joke was like this is two guys kissing, but the joke was that like they are for that he sees her in there for that moment and kind of forgets that that she's in this body and really it's more that uh, he's a hulking brute who smells terrible that uh, uh, yeah. that he that snaps him out of it and it was this scene and the one where he's talking to the where she's talking to her mom in the killer's body it was like oh these are scenes that they could have turned into really like kind of like verbal slapsticky type scenes. Yeah. Instead, they played them much more emotionally. I think they were handled very well, and I and I think you know they they're, they deserve a bigger compliment because, or just a big compliment because you know it, it's about the the theme that it doesn't matter what you look like. It's really mm-hmm. about the inside. 
and who you are as a person, and that's really what matters. And that's and and it was handled so gently and delicately and nicely. And a lot of the movie is kind of funny and over the top, but these moments were handled with a lot of care mm-hmm. by everyone, and it really well, worked. I did. I wanted to say. I mean, like, I do not want to suggest that um, <clears throat> that like people of all different sorts uh, can't have empathy for. All different sorts of people, but the the lack no, go ahead, of suggest it. Go ahead. <laughs> no, go I'm on. not <laughs> suggesting it. But the 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 sweetness and the like, just sense of like it it does not matter what you look like. It matters who you're inside. Uh, uh, um, the the director of this, uh, Christopher Landon, is an out gay man. I think that like a lot of the empathy there comes from that experience. I also discovered his dad is Michael Landon. Oh. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he's been around the business for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the butcher shows up, grabs the dagger, uh, drives off in a police car. Uh, Josh connects up with uh, his friends. Uh, We're hearing that police car now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell if that's uh, that's on my side or Dan's side. I'm assuming if it's a police car, oh, it's probably me then. It's part Uh, of Stuart's theater of the mind experience that makes (laughs) him pull off. Yeah. Well, yeah, I have, I strap, uh, I strap a little speaker to my cat and the cat runs around the apartment (laughs) to give the sense of a Doppler effect. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, so the butcher is going to the home, the makeshift homecoming dance that has been moved to his horrible, uh, his, his horrible old mill, uh, that we saw previously, and we complimented its decorations. Yeah, I guess we missed the montage where the, all the teens clean up those uh, carcasses hanging from the ceiling. Just, just those take the montage blankets. from the, the montage from Sister Act where they clean up the old church, or yeah, Sister exactly. Act Two, I guess they do it in. Yeah. Like, just, just use that one, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe both Sister Acts they do that. <laughs> so Dan, do both Sister Acts have cleanup montages? I'll this ask, is the question I would ask you if you came to I'll me and murdered body. She's a big Sister Act expert. <laughs> okay, both of them. So our heroes uh, head over to the old mill. Uh, we have a showdown. The butcher manages, in the middle of the party, manages to murder three date rapists. And then a fourth date rapist that attempts to uh, push himself on Josh. Uh, so, you know, uh, we get we get some more bodies. They manage to capture the butcher. Uh, it looks like they have run out of time. That their uh, their watches, uh, that it's... That it's Already midnight, but then they there's a callback to a previous moment when we realize that uh, the watch that Millie is carrying is Booker's, and Booker always sets his watch five minutes fast, or is it late? I can't remember which. Five, um, five, five minutes, minutes fast. fast yeah. yeah, to set it five minutes late would not be a huge help. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that actually makes sense. So it's not midnight yet, and they have it's, time. Yeah, they have time. We mm-hmm. uh, uh, they Millie stabs the butcher. And they swap bodies, and then the cops shoot the butcher a bunch. And this was the point where I'm like, wait a minute, did they actually switch? Is there another twist? Uh, nope. Luckily, was, they don't have to wait till midnight. I was worried I, it was going to be a wait till midnight situation. Yeah, I, I got to say, I was very happy, honestly, that there was no like final rug pull in that way. Because the older I get, the more when I watch a horror movie, I want it to like end tidily. <laughs> like I want like <laughs> I just want everyone to be happy, guys. You know. <laughs> I wonder. I mean, I wonder if they there was a point with the script where they're like, no, 
Millie is still stuck in the is still yeah. stuck in the butcher's body, but then has to come back. But whatever. So I, think, uh, I feel like that's the kind of thing you could you can do in a movie with a with a darker tone than this one. Yeah. yeah. Like this this movie is not is not going for the like, um, like. It, not going for for that kind of final scare, and I appreciated that too, because it was like I don't want to imagine this killer living in her body while no. he, while Millie is murdered, you know, basically. Yes, yes. And uh, it was, but there, uh, you know, the the nineteen eighty six straight to video version of this would probably have that ending. <laughs> yeah. So uh, everything seems okay, and then we have one final scare. The butcher survived his shooting. He uh, comes back after Millie, and then Millie, her mom, and Charlene, which is my wife's name, managed to <laughs> defeat the butcher and yeah. ram a stake through his heart. I, I thought that was going to be a dream sequence, though, because when they killed, when they shot the butcher, he had like four or five bullet holes in him, yeah, and and, and it impacted his shirt. He had that black shirt on, uh-huh. and there were bullet holes in the shirt. And then when he came back. There was no bullet holes in his shirt. And I said yeah. to my husband, this is a dream sequence. Uh-huh. And and it, and th- actually, thank God it wasn't a dream sequence because yeah. I'm kind of sick of those dream sequences. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and 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 it was real. Like he came back and I that was a continuity error. Where are the, where are those bullet holes? Mm-hmm. But I, I do like you had bought in enough in the movie where you're like, it's got to be a dream sequence. They wouldn't mess this up. Right. Well, I also think they wanted to give the whole you know, the heroes of the movie, the chance to actually dispatch the killer. Yeah. That, yeah. that was the point of it. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Yeah. And to show like Millie has stepped up because she, you know, you know, she's tough. Well, that's and to see her, her family has come together now. Like they're, they're by, by as and many times in horror movies, families that have problems and dysfunction can overcome them by murdering somebody together. <laughs> it's like that is the overarching, that's so true. That is the, so over, true. the overarching sick joke of the movie is like, it is taking that thing from like a body swap movie where like this has improved our lives where like it really has improved Millie's life that she swapped yeah. with this killer for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I think this movie is really lean, you know, with its story points. It gets right to it. There's there's not a lot of you know, extra things there. It's it this is the story. Let's get to it. Let's have some good set pieces. Let's have some cool characters. This is our story and it has a message and you know, people get what they what they need out of it, and um, yeah. you know the heroes overcome. And they and they, I, I feel like they understand the like the character beats they need everybody to hit, and they for them like I feel like they hit them all. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a fun time at the movies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, mean, I thought it was charming. That that's my that's my one word. Uh, yeah. You know, encapsulation of the whole movie. I thought was charming. Yeah. That they, well, they mean, fe- it, it feels like rather than just trying to get across on the gimmick of it, that they they put the they put the work into the tone and into the into yes. those emotional beats of the characters, and that was really nice. Yeah, and I think the music helped with that too. The music was very mm-hmm. upbeat and very light, you know. And even in the darker moments, it wasn't dark music. I mean, it, the whole tone tone is a really difficult thing, and especially since it's comedy and horror, to put that together. I think I think the tone is you know difficult to get, and I think the music really helped with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, this is the point where normally we would be like, "Oh, is this a good bad movie, a bad bad movie, or a movie you kind of liked?" I think we all liked it to yeah. a, a greater or lesser degree. I mean, like, it is very zippy. It is like a, a candy bar of a movie. It, like you're like that. It is you're just gonna have fun. I think I do like the Happy Death Day movies a little more because I think they're slightly more inventive, and I really like Jessica Roth as the. Yeah, she's lead. fantastic as an actress. Yeah. Yeah, but this is a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah, worth I, watching. I, I recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, Elliot. Elliot, how do you feel? You're not. Uh, you don't usually watch a lot of the uh, horror movies. You don't usually well, talk a the, lot. What, what do you think? <laughs> it's well. It was exciting to me to see a movie that is new, uh, yeah. since mm-hmm. I don't often get the chance to do. I mean, that's the, the. I am very saddened about what's happening with the movie theater industry. But uh, as the as the father of two small children, I very rarely get to go to the theaters anyway. So it's exciting to me. To, to see a movie that is like, it's like, oh, this is a new movie. Like, I haven't already seen all the takes on this, yeah. you know, and the backlash to those takes, and then the backlash to the first backlash, and then the critical consensus kind of settles in, and then a year later, I get to see it. So it was yeah. like, oh, I'm seeing a movie that I don't know too much about already. This is great. And the movie was a lot of fun. Yeah. There was a, there was a moment early on, and I, I may mention this on the show, but there was a moment early on in quarantine when they first started offering up like new release movies for like a $20 rental on demand. And I, I like jumped at watching The Invisible Man because I was like, I just need to watch a new movie right now. Well, that was the thing too. So when it came on our screens, we're all like, oh, $20. My husband said that too. We got to pay $20 for this. Yeah, we have to pay $20 because yeah. you know, it's, a new, it's a new film. You know, it hasn't gone through the theaters already. It's not $3.99 or $2.99. Yeah. It's 20 yeah. bucks. So. It's the it's the new like model of of business at this point. Well, and it's, it's as sorry, like man. as like you know uh, someone who writes for television. I like I I both get why people like have sticker shock and sort of get like a little annoyed at it because I'm like, well, if I went to the Alamo, like I'm gonna end up paying like forty bucks with your forty bucks, and yeah. yeah, and you got to and... pay for a flight to Texas. That's a big cost, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, well then, like, Alamo, New York, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, right, yeah, right, do. right. <laughs> You're paying for that one screen too. Like as many people are in the household can watch it at the same time. Like it is not, you know. Oh, that's. But, I had the same thing. I was like, 19.99 to watch a movie at home in a room that's much more comfortable to me than a movie theater, and I don't have to wear <laughs> shoes, and for free I can eat whatever I want. This, this is outrageous. outrageous. And I was like, <laughs> oh, wait a second. <laughs> this is a, a, a nicer nice experience in some ways. It was. It was fun when uh, when it when it went up, and I saw. You know, when it went up on Friday and we had the, uh, you know, I saw the price. I'm like, I wonder how long it's going to be before I get a text from Elliot complaining about the price. (laughs) And then I did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, hello, I'm Renee Colvert. Hi, I'm Alexis Preston, and we are the hosts of Can I Pet Your Dog? And we got breaking news, we got an expose, and all the beans have been spilled via an Apple podcast review that said, this show isn't well-researched. Well, yeah, no duh. Of course it's not. Not since the day we started has it been well-researched. Guessing and anthropomorphizing dogs is what we do. The Can I Pet Your Dog promise is that we will never do more than 10 seconds of research before telling you excitedly about any dog we see. I'm going to come at you with top 10 enthusiasm, minimal facts. We're here for a good time, not an educated time. So if you love dogs and you don't love research, well, (laughs) you know what? Come on in to Can I Pet Your Dog podcast every Tuesday on Maximum Fun Network. Hi, I'm James, host of Minority Corner, which is a podcast that's all about intersectionality. It's hosted by James with a guest host every week. Discussing all sorts of wonderful issues, nerdy and political. Pop culture. Black, queer, feminism. Race, sexuality. News. You're going to learn your history, their self-empowerment, and it's told by what feels like your best friend. Why should someone listen to Minority Corner? Why not? Oh my God, free stuff. There's not free stuff. The listeners of Minority Corner will enjoy some necessary LOLs, but 
mainly a look at what's happening in our world through a colorful lens. People will get the perspective of marginalized communities. I feel heard. I feel seen. Like you said, you need to understand how to be more proactive in your community, and this is a great way to get started. Join us every Friday on Max Fun or wherever you get your podcast. Minority, Minority Corner. Corner. Because, because together, together we're the majority. Uh, so, Barbara, this was so much fun. Thanks for coming. Now, I know the uh, the the longtime Flophouse listeners would kill me if I didn't ask, but I need to know, how did you get involved in soap operas? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know. It's like we were saying in the beginning, these things just happen. You don't you audition for something and they go, want to do this? And you go, OK, you're going to pay me. I'll do it. Um it was early on in my LA career that I auditioned for. Uh, I think it was it was um, Days of Our Lives. Yeah. And uh, was this was this when they were doing like supernatural stuff in Days of Our Lives? Because I remember when I was a kid, there was an arc where there was like a demon possessing somebody. Am I am I? Yeah, am I well that was around things? the same time. I'm not sure. I I was part of the Salem slasher era, and oh, I don't okay. know if that was before the demon or post-demon but um it was with john delancey he's been in some of the star trek series Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and i was to play opposite him and i auditioned for that and i i was on the show for about 10 months and then um and then i did a couple other or was young and the restless right after that i it was a couple years later i i think i did my movies with Stuart gordon and then and then i auditioned for the young and the restless and that was only supposed to be for 13 weeks that's Uh what you were contracted for every 13 weeks they reevaluated your character and and they wanted to see if they wanted to keep you so they would hire you for a they would give you a contract for a year but every 13 weeks they had an option on you and uh they just kept renewing my option on the young and the restless and i actually played a crazy character on that show she was a borderline personality with psychosis it was super Uh fun and every option period they kept re-upping my option until six years later i went I've been on this show. <laughs> yeah. um, so it was great because it was good money and yeah. it kept me employed, you know, yeah. and as, as a performer, you're, you're basically unemployed most of the time, unless you get a series. And so I had regular work for six years. So that I was able to put money in the bank and buy a house. And you know, that, that was, that was nice to have that cushion for a while. Have you seen any of the, have you seen the footage of the soap operas that were filming love scenes at the start of quarantine, where they were like kissing mannequins. Have you have any what, seen <laughs> any of these? I've heard about that. I read yeah, about like it. Like mannequin standards. I, I did. Did you see it? I, I, I mean, I, I've I seen did. clips. Yeah, it's pretty great. Really? Yeah. I have to look that up now that we're chatting about yeah. it. But I I read about it, but then I didn't see it. I yeah. didn't look for it. The now, did you ever go to any? Um, because those are two kind of interesting fandoms and worlds of like soap operas and the horror community. Did you ever go to any like soap opera conventions or anything? Yeah, I went on a cruise once for a soap opera. That was pretty fun, and I got to bring my mom with me. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Are the fandoms similar? Is there like I'm? Are they? I'm assuming they're all lovely. They're they're pretty <laughs> rabid fans. I'll have yeah. to say. Um, in in both but um i think the yeah and they're both very loyal yeah i think that the fan base for horror movies is a little bigger and wider now okay when i first started out doing soap operas 50 million people a week used to watch them mm. now it's like five million a week so the there's just so much product out there gaming has become 
a really big industry now. Games make more money than anything. And yeah. television is really big now. And there's so much product out there. There's, you know, I mean, everybody gets a smaller piece of the pie. And that's that's true in independent filmmaking. The margins have shrunk. You just don't make as much money as you used to with anything. Uh-huh. And what, are, and what are you working on nowadays? Well, thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> I did, I have, you know, it's funny. I've been pretty busy in quarantine, yeah. which is really weird. Um, and speaking about gaming, I, I, I'm doing a, a, a pretty big game for a really big company. And I've never done a game before. And these guys know me from my horror movie roots. And it's kind of a horror game. So they, uh-huh. uh, they just called me and said, would you like to do this? And I said, okay. Yeah. And so I've gone in like, I don't know, seven or eight times and recorded for four hours each session. And I have something like 800 lines and I have this really cool character and she's that's a awesome. mom. And yeah, she fights bad people. And oh, that's great. So, yes, I thought that's been really fun. Um, and that'll be announced like next year sometime. But the really, the really big thing I did, um, is uh, I was working on developing this movie called Jacob's Wife for about four or five years. Uh And I'm a producer and actor in it. And uh, that'll be coming out next year as well. It's about an older married couple. Oh, that's great. Exciting things happen to me. It's not like a scenes from a marriage type movie, or is it? No, it's like a marriage story with horror elements. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Now, the now that you're producing and acting, is it do you do you like being able to do both at the same time, or I don't know? I feel like that lets you kind of pick your projects a little more. Yeah, and not every project that I want to produce in the future has me as an actor in it. I have a a meeting tomorrow with these guys that we've been talking. I'm, I'm working with the company that produced Jacob's Wife, AMP Films, and. Um, a film came to me that somebody said, you should read this. It's really good. And there's no part for me in it. And I said, Oh my God, we have to do this. I love, I love the yeah. script. So we're meeting with them tomorrow. But I will say that, you know, again, talking about your next, when I did that film and I saw all those people doing all the different jobs, you know, uh-huh. you're an actor, you're a cinematographer, mm-hmm. you're a writer, you're a producer. I said, well, why can't I do that? Is it, you know, is it too late for me? I hope it's not too late because Look, they're having fun, you know. They're they're doing it all, and everybody's making their own content. Why don't I try to do that? So that's uh-huh. what I've been doing, and yeah, I'm making some stuff for myself, but I'm I'm just interested in a good story. Yeah, that's great. I yeah, I'm excited to see that movie. Yeah, and I'm also thank you, and I'm also really excited because I'm going to be in the new um, the new season of Creep Show. So I, oh. I was telling you guys, we had a little party, <laughs> yeah. and I and I went. I flew to Atlanta a few months ago, and I did an episode of that. And you know, I grew up with those movies, and yeah. I mean, I've seen them all. And you know, I just was like, wow, that it was an honor to be part of that show. And I have a great character. Yeah, we're yeah we're we're big fans of anthology horror stuff here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Creep Show, Tales from the Crypt, etc. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, a buddy, a buddy of mine did one of the segments of uh, what ABCs of Death Part Two, I think. Uh, <laughs> Who's that? Uh, Steve Kostansky. Uh, uh, oh, I know of him. Yes. Yeah, he he put me in his movie this year, and that was like the coolest thing in the world. A movie called mm-hmm. Psycho Gore Man. I was gonna say <laughs> that's him. That's his movie. I haven't yeah, seen yeah. that yet, but yeah, everybody loves that movie. Yeah, it's super fun. 
Uh, and I managed to get another plug in for him on the podcast. I, I mean, you're still not. Can't... You're still not Elliot Sharko and Hippo levels, but you're doing. doing oh, pretty Sharko well. and Hippo, my new picture book that's in in stores now uh, uh, with illustrations by Andrea Tsurumi. Yeah, Sharko and Hippo. Sure, everyone can buy that for their for the child in their life. Definitely. Oh like, man, get something going on. So yeah, Dan, you need it. something to plug. Right now, <laughs> your cat is just the only thing that you can plug right now. So how's Archie doing these days? Oh, great. You know, he's got a little bow tie. He's, he's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you can know he's a wealthy cat, because he wears a bow tie around. <laughs> I mean, I can't even tie a bow tie, so I'm yeah. assuming he's much better off than me. He must be very dapper if he's wearing his bow tie indoors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just around the house. <laughs> well, it's like Archie, Dan's cat, knows that it's not just about how he looks, but how he feels. And he just feels fancier with that bow tie yeah. on. Yeah. I understand that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay, uh, well, this okay, was well, this was super fun. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Thank I really you. enjoy your show. I'm honored to be on it. And thanks for having me. Yeah, this was a, this was a, thank, a real thank pleasure. You letting, thank you for letting me pick a new movie. Oh, no, no, by, by, by all means, thank it's you like for a picking a good one. For us. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, don't, so, I, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to uh, embarrass Stuart, but he uh, he was at a very high excitement level for the past uh, few weeks yeah. while we talked about this, and we all were too. But uh, I, Stuart's such a laconic kind of cool guy that I just needed to to mention, especially he's how excited he is inside, but you can't yeah, yeah. tell. Yeah. Oh, thanks Get you guys. I I'm really touched by that. I I mean that. Thank you so much. Cheers. Oh man, that was such a blast. Uh I'd love to thank uh Barbara Crampton for taking some time and getting to chat with us. Uh we're all huge fans and uh she was a delight. Uh yeah. so much fun. Um She lived entirely up to her reputation as a delightful, wonderful person. Um, so thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to once again, plug, uh, my bars. If you're living in Brooklyn, uh, we're doing takeout service and limited seating at hinterlands and minis. Uh, hopefully, uh, things will change in the next couple months. Um, and if you haven't yet and you're interested, we are still selling merch at hinterlands bar merch at Gmail. Just email me and I will send you all the info and then I will pack it up and ship it myself. I'm a little, uh, backed up right now, uh, because everybody's been so generous, but it's super great and, uh, it's helping us keep the lights on. Um, I'd also like to, rec uh, recommend my wife's brand new podcast. First episode went up last week. Uh, I Know the Owner, which is bar people talking bar stuff. The first episode is the two of us talking about our bar in our bar with actual bar sounds around us. Um, and it's a show that I'm very proud of. And if you are looking to kind of learn a little bit about the bar industry and also just spend some time with some bar people, I'd check it out wherever you are listen to podcasts probably in your ears right in your ears is where you should find it yeah yep. although i mean if you put it tight enough to the bones of your jaw uh -huh. you can get those vibrations into your skull although i still yeah. they still go through your ears i assume mm -hmm. at some point they resonate yep. though that's what you're saying Turns Stuart mentioned Stuart mentioned he's backed up, and I'm worried it's because he's been trying to listen to podcasts in an area not his ears. Stu, oh, yeah. just oh, don't, don't no. even think about it yeah but i need the vibrations mm. <laughs> 
You know, we uh, <laughs> we did this little bit at the end because we were like, oh, we need, you know, we should have a better ending, a more professional ending. Uh-huh. I think so because far we're, we're nailing it. We're not very it. good at ending things. We're nailing yeah. it right now. We are totally, <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, is that your way of saying that we should end the show, Dan? Yeah, I was just trying to plug my little businesses and keep the lights on. I mean, uh, I, <laughs> this podcast is a... I think I've been very supportive in those. I mean, Stu's, spirit. Stu, I don't know Stu's just out there trying to achieve the American dream, Dan. <laughs> okay. But if you want to keep stomping on yeah, him like no, a whiskey Soviet, I'm a real you know? monster. I'm That's a... the thing. I'm just hustling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks to everyone for listening to the show. Thank you for the maximum fun uh, for uh, being our network. Thank you to Jordan Cowling for editing and producing the show, thanks especially again, this Cranston. episode, probably. <laughs> Yeah, uh, if you like this nonsense, please uh, uh, rate us well on iTunes. It really does help. Or tell people podcasts are one of the things in this world that still mostly operates on word of mouth. So let's uh-huh. keep it that way. Let's uh, let's keep this no, train no. rolling. I mean, let's keep the word of mouth going, but we don't want to keep it that way. That I mean, we want a big advertising budget, right? Like, yeah. I'm going to see a billboard with our faces on it that's like, bad movies, they've got your prescription. We're dressed as doctors, too. I uh, mean, if we can get it, sure. I'm, or, uh, or like, or like uh, there's a couple of, like, bandito, like, uh, uh-huh. like Wild West criminals that are bad movies sitting at a table playing cards. Oh, and that okay. we, we're standing in the doorway dressed up as Wild West lawmen, okay? Uh-huh. <laughs> And we're like, uh, uh, wait, uh, Dan, come on. Uh, what's the tagline? Come on, yeah, Dan. Dan. You're what's a writer. The tagline? Uh, uh, bad movies are the disease and we're the cure. <laughs> no one's ever done that one, right? Never, ever. It's also, never been it's done. confusing because we're in the Wild West and diseases <laughs> like, were yeah, a real Maybe we problem should be wearing then. the doctor stuff again. That would be better for the other billboard where <laughs> we're dressed as doctors. <laughs> 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 we shouldn't have employed mixed up advertisers incorporated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's that one episode of Mad Men where Don Draper got drunk and messed up his presentation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh well anyway, we hope you've uh, enjoyed this slightly different episode of the Flop House. Uh but until next time, I've been Dan McCoy. I've been Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalen saying thank you again, Barbara Crampton. You're great. Bye. What if we just did that to prank our guests? <laughs> we have this huge collection count. of people saying four. We're like, someday oh, yeah. we'll find a use for this Someday. Thing. It'll be an art installation. Our big four uh, project. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.